Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 4th of November 2018. The time is just flying in, isn't it? At least flying in. I don't know if it's what they speculated about a long time ago, many years ago in fact, about the airways being saturated with so many signals and Wi-Fi and so on, that's affecting our, our, our sense of time to some extent. I'm sure there's something to that. In fact, there is something to it because I read studies about it years ago from different scientific institutions talking about this big field. Even Persinger, Professor Persinger, was involved in it too. And he, his whole field theory idea was the idea would all be saturated and, and involved in a field of manipulative um, airwaves. Uh, they would affect her behavior and prompt us to do this and that and the other kind of thing. And even feel hunger from starving people in different parts of the world. And he thought it was a great thing. Well, think about that. that, that don't fall for all this, this rubbish. They always give you the, we're here to help you. Now, we're just, we're just making stuff to manipulate your brains so as you'll feel what we want you to feel. Think about it that way, folks. Huh? <laughs> it's so astonishing to me about the, the, the behaviorists and psychologists and so on who've studied us and studied us and studied us to make money for big, big corporations and governments so that those same governments and corporations can control us all and, and buy their products and behave in certain ways that our masters think is, is going to give them less trouble. Because we don't live in a free society. I really don't know where anyone gets this idea, apart from the fact that Bertrand Russell, who was one of the manipulators in his day, who helped design, uh, along with many others, of course, in the teams that he worked with, uh, the whole culture industry for a good part of the 20th century into this particular century, all the top groups that we all know about, uh, the names of them and so on, uh, of how to control and create the perfect citizens. And by perfect, it meant the citizens who would be very well behaved, very obedient to the ruling uh, dominant minority. And uh, and he said too that everyone would be trained to believe they lived in the best country in the world because by simply repetition, your government would keep telling you so. And that's what you hear, isn't it? You also hear the same thing about they have the best healthcare system in the world because they keep telling you that too and they spend millions of dollars in Canada to tell you that. Over and over, rather than spend it on actually treating you. Life is full of incredible deceptions. And I was thinking about that on and off this week, in fact, or the latter part of this week, because I could flood you with data, 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 like everybody else. But the point is, you've got to have a, a sequence of pattern to the data that you're putting out there with a purpose in mind. Otherwise, it's just repeating and regurgitating the, the avalanche of data from all over the planet that we get on a daily basis. Data doesn't mean it's true, remember. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just data. And everything is catered to by the behaviorists too. There's all kinds of data out there to, to keep you distracted. It's no, there's nothing in the culture industry that's not there for a purpose, by the way. It never was. Remember, putting up the links a long time ago to Adam Curtis's, one of his documentary specials on Britain back in about the 1950s and 60s, 
and how the, the TV at that time, which was controlled really from London by the government, put on these very kind of quaint uh, television stories like Dixon, Sergeant Dixon of Doc Green, it was called, a, a cop series, but the, he was a nice policeman. He was your friendly local. To give you an impression, that's what police was all about. They're all friendly pals and so on. To an extent they were. You could talk to them. They were human. They weren't the hard-nosed um, authoritarian types that have copied their image from from movies. <laughs> As the movies got worse and worse and worse, and society got worse and worse too, to boot. So, But they showed you that kind of thing, and you didn't have the, the avalanche of sex, sex, sex. Because at that time they hadn't really started big time, at least in Britain, the whole sexual revolution idea to destroy the family unit. That was the reason for it, folks. It wasn't associated with fun. It wasn't for that at all. It was to destroy the family unit. But, but Curtis did a good job on showing you what was deemed appropriate for the public back then. And it was nicey nicey stuff to an extent. And there were laws at that time for, for different kinds of decency, etc. And people would, because there were still a lot of married people back then that had children, like couples actually, that had children, they would speak out against uh, anything that, that was untowards, as they say, in society for the children. Now it's not even safe for the children, with, with lots of adults out there now that are, they've been hypersexualized and radicalized and perverted, because that's what sex does, too much sex. Um, if you're constantly watching it, the stuff that they're turning out, it's going to pervert you as well. It turns you into the monster that you're supposed to idolize. Isn't that something, eh? Because it's a primitive part of the brain, of course. A very primitive part of the brain that gets stimulated over and over and over. And it doesn't deal, that primitive part doesn't deal with niceties and so on. There's a very thin layer of control that you'll have over yourself when it comes to complete arousal and you have to be able to control it. Once that's demolished through confusion or not, you're not quite sure or whatever, uh, then you, you're, you're going to cause trouble. And that's what that's about. That's what's happened to society. It's been lauded. It's a great thing. Great thing. And you should see the awards that to the, the characters who ran uh, the porno magazines, all the awards that they got from different institutions. Uh, it's very, it's very enlightening to, to see who gave them the awards, actually, <laughs> because um, you'll find that nothing exists out there for, for it to be a friendly little club. You put it that way, it all has a very, a, a very directed and, and conscious purpose. Uh, therefore, knowledge has always been power to an extent. But knowledge, again, consists of data, and you have to be sure of the data. And you, you, you can never be really sure of all data. And even, even then, even from authoritative sources, in fact, in fact, from authoritative sources, perhaps you should be more uh, questioning of all, because there's hardly anything out there today that isn't there to, to spin, spin off you, your mind, into some dead ends. Truth is a dangerous thing to give to the public, because the truth it can make people very angry when they realize what's been done to them. In, in a lot of different ways, by the way. A lot of different ways. Truth is always spun off by the experts. The experts are paid so such massive, massive incomes to deceive us. Neuroscientists and psychologists, the behaviorists, etc. They'll work. And I've, I've done talks on that, so many talks on that too. With the, for instance, is, is one example is the, 
is the behavioural insights teams. Initially, were put together supposedly by government, especially starting off with London, of course, uh, to uh, prompt people to pay more taxes or higher taxes and, and even try to experiment to see if they'd even give money to, to charities. So, in other words, see if they could manipulate people enough to modify their behaviour. And once they had that done, then take, then the sky's the limit. You can, you can, you can modify them in so many different ways now with the different techniques all the way back from, from Pavlov to the present time. You have conditioned responses in people where they won't even admit, they won't even debate a topic, or never mind even mention a topic, if it's deemed perhaps sensitive at that moment. Because we're getting incredible indoctrination right now, incredible. And if you ever get close to any particular truth, uh, the more you're going to get hammered for for getting near it. It's just the way it is. It's not very safe anymore, actually. And those in power have the money and the power, and therefore they they can decide what's going to be, isn't it? That's always been the way of it. It's like the history books that were given of nobility back in the 19th century and definitely into the 20th century. They came out with all plays, uh, stage plays and so on, and eventually uh, television episodes of Britain and, and medieval times or, or else. And, but it was always to, always to paint nobility as being some sort of guardians of the public. And that's how it was portrayed. And in the early 20th century, you had a flimsy uh, but partial truth to some of it, where some of the nobility would uh, still have some sort of obligation they felt as a form of traditional way of looking after the peasantry. And believe you me, even when I was young, there's definitely peasantry. The people were... It's, have you ever seen the movie? It was The Third Man. The Third Man. With Orson Welles in it. A good movie, excellent movie. But there's a, a point in the movie where Orson Welles, who's a bad guy, and it's filmed in Vienna, Austria. Uh, just after World War Two, that was the setting of it. And Orson Welles is really a kind of um, underground figure who dilutes the new penicillin that had been, had been out too long. Uh, it was intended for, for, for patients in, in Germany, and it wasn't working, and children were dying of, of diseases and so on, you see. So he's a bad guy, but his pal tracks him down, and they go up in a Ferris wheel, a big giant Ferris wheel, and it stops at the top, and it was set for privacy, so so Wells could talk to him. And Wells said, "Look at the people down there. There's little dots. There's little dots. The people down there." And he talks about them. It's like they're nothing. You see, he was making the analogy of, "Well, who would care if so many of those dots disappeared?" Basically, he's talking about his penicillin, his useless diluted penicillin that was killing folk. And he also said, well, suppose, you know, who cares? He says, the communists call them the proletariats. The, uh, the governments call the people the subjects, you know, or commoners, or peasants. So what's the difference, he says, how I see them. And there's tremendous truth in that, you see. Because nothing really... We're given different names for how to view ourselves from those who own us. I don't care what they call it or what pretentious banner they put, oh, we're all equal, or oh, you're under communism, it's our system. What a joke. It never was people's system. It was a horrific system. Horrific. And we know that. And it's interesting, too, it's never bashed as much as the Nazis were. 
even though they slaughtered about 80-odd million of their own people in the Soviet Union, basically. Horrific. The behavior of those who own us, basically, tells us a lot. And the fact that the Soviet system... <laughs> and I put up lots of links years ago. Kachin was one of them. Where the Kachin Forest, for instance, where uh, the Soviets had taken the, the officer class of the Polish army and, and shot them all and put them in mass graves. And when the Germans found them, you know, the, the Germans found them in a whole bit, the Soviets eventually altered the, the film. <laughs> Been put the Germans in place of the Soviets, but it's actually the Soviets who killed them all. Evans deception, you see. But there's no condemnation of this when the Soviets did it. Isn't it kind of interesting that? It tells you an awful lot. It really does. It really does, to this day. And other ones too, documentaries of people who survived the incredible camps in Russia, the Soviet Union at the time. And the horrific conditions they went through, and the slaughter was incredible of the ordinary people. Incredible. But there's no condemnation of it. Rather interesting, isn't it? Awfully. It's, in fact, it's incredibly interesting, isn't it, really? Come on. Come on. And you also had documentary links I put up, too, about the came out of even Bulgaria, of the people who, again, under the Soviet system, and they found the good thugs as well. You have awfully good thugs everywhere in every country who will do the brutalization and the slaughter and make mass graves and so on. Incredible stuff. But the world is silent on it. Silent. We hear the word Nazi, Nazi, everywhere. Everywhere. You see, George Orwell knew this. And he was a darling of the world socialists at the time when he came back from the Spain until he started talking out he, really, he connected the dots between the communist system the socialist system and, and the German socialist system they were both totalitarian movements and systems which are totalitarian always remember this is awfully interesting and awfully necessary to remember it they always say that you are the you, you the people are and, and they give you the label you see the, the, the country etc the system they, you are all you are you're the Soviet system or you are the, the Nazi etc etc. But the fact is this is this is an old old technique that's always been used. It's much more um, sophisticated in the techniques to put it over today. Of course, today we have. Children indoctrinated in school into the next step of the system. And I, I look at the, the world history as basically a continuum of, you might call it a system behind the systems that uses a dialectic and uses countries against each other, that builds them up and sets them up against other ones. And then out of that comes. Their synthesis, the new start for the, for the next part of it too. This, this is planned this way, right to the present day, where mass migration is used now uh, with the prompting of real wars against different countries that are sending them out uh, and the threat of, of bombings from the West to those countries in the near future. 
I mean, Iran too. It's a great way to, to get people out of a country, isn't it? You keep threatening to bomb them, and over time, those who can afford to get out and migrate are going to do it. You would do it too. So economic warfare, you, you, you throttle them by necessary supplies like they did to Iraq. And Madeleine Albright thought it was wonderful starving half a million people to death. And children, you know, by embargoes and so on. And, and they're giving the same treatment to Iran, for instance. And I've no doubt, too, that there's a lot of ways to try and throttle Syria because they're not finished with Syria. There are, there are forces in this world who are not happy with the outcomes at the moment. We know that. And yet, people in the, the West are still kind of befuddled as to what's all this got to do with us? Well, I'm not here to tell you if you can't figure it out. By now. But the outcome, the fallout, the blowback, and I even gave it documents years ago from official sources, governmental sources, and military sources, from strategic planning and so on, talking about if they ever did these, these particular um, wars, which they've done now, there'd be massive blowback from migrations and, and so on. And that would, so, so in other words, you have to really say, are the, the effects that we're seeing, the planned effects from the planned causes of them? And of course they are. Of course they are. The global society as they call it, the globalist society, could never happen without all. It would take oh a, long, long, a much longer time for the mass migrations and the multicultural societies to, to, to expand so fast across the planet. It would take much, much longer. And they had documents out, out years ago. This, the, the old communist system in the early phase uh, put out lots of information in their own books talking about this so-called theory of Marx and evolution. It's all tied together, they said, you see. They tried to make it into some kind of replacement for religion. And, and re- they really did treat it. It is a religion. Marxism is a religion. And under the guise of a pseudoscience, you see. So so intricate. And, and, and it's not a pope you need for it. You need someone like Stalin to interpret it. Because nobody else could. Not really. You'd always have the wrong, the slightly wrong point of view, and or a slightly wrong interpretation, slightly this and slightly. But you can never get it perfectly right. You see. In other words, what they're telling you is only a genius could really understand it. What bogus, eh? What bogus stuff is that? But what they did say is that by the use of forced evolution they could achieve their goals of a planetary system under a socialist control. Well, how would you make that? Well, you force it. You force migration, right? How would you force migration? Well, do it through economic warfare, embargoes to your star folk, real warfare, and so on. And, and then you use all the NGOs. They're heavily financed by billionaires and the United Nations. They get their money from the World Bank. They get their money from us. To make it all happen. We don't get a say in the matter. The average pro, we don't get a say in the matter at all. Now we're given almost threatening retorts if we question any of this. Which tells you that those in control really believe that they are. They've achieved this degree of power 
that they can simply show their hand. They used to call it the hidden hand, in fact, at one time. But now they're showing it more and more openly because they, they feel they've conquered and, and they're, they're, they're willing to, to use threat. And eventually, it will be imprisonment. The same, so you always end up with imprisonment and then camps of some kind or another and then extermination. And don't ever, please don't ever, ever, ever think, and this is the flaw of human nature, <laughs> Every, every generation, and I, you can class a generation every 10 years if you want to, because those who were getting born 10 years ago were updated and what they would experience in life. as When they were children, they were updated very early, as opposed to the ones 10 years before them. But don't ever think that somehow all, the, all this magical act of technology. Oh, and look what we have. Oh, here's your iPhone, and here's this, and here's your demo. Yeah, yeah. Don't think we're somehow, we've somehow evolved. Don't ever think, please don't ever think that. If you do, you have given yourself over to the coming of little hell on earth. Human nature is very vicious. Power is very vicious. It can also be very, very tactful at times. It can be very manipulative, but definitely it's coercive. Under the, the, the threat of, if you don't, you know, we're not stopping you, do, but if you don't, and most folk comply, you see. It was similar after, after the, the bomb was dropped, the atom bomb. And they said that everything had changed like the whole world, everything had changed except man himself. Meaning, if we still had the same instincts as a, a Stone Age man, uh, here we have this technology to blow ourselves up. It's a scary kind of thing to think about. Of course, even the fear of that is used against the public as they created the phony Cold War. Do you know that all through the Soviet system, the West fed the Soviet system? <laughs> Canada pretty well destroyed its land out west, growing crops to Russia, right to, right to the, the so-called fall of the Berlin Wall. Massive profits for the, for the farming industry. And they used to compete with the U.S. granaries as well for the contracts. The Soviet system, the Soviet, what happened to it? For goodness? They couldn't even feed themselves. Also, they were given so much help through the different World Bank that this strange organization that we all, our money is, our tax money is taking off us and put into that too to help so-called up-and-coming nations, etc., blah, blah, blah. And they constantly give out loans, which we are put down for as guarantor of the loans all through Africa and everywhere else too. It's not meant to ever get paid off by the countries the money is supposedly given to. It's given to the, the governments of those countries who are utterly corrupt, but will keep, who will toe the line, do what they're told, by the stipulations that come with a loan from the World Bank. This is the power group. The power group that owns the world own the World Bank. They own the United Nations. They own the IMF. They own the Bank for International Settlements. And they have us down. They own the central banks across the planet. And they have us all down as the guarantors of those loans. So it's not meant that the country, the recipients pay it off. 
it's only meant that we must pay off the, these particular loans. And once we do that, when the countries default and we pay them off, then they get immediately give them another loan. It's a racket, folks. It's a racket. Complete racket. But you're not supposed to think this. You're supposed to think that we're all pretty decent people. And those folk that you see on television that talk from these institutions are decent people too. If you ever read... Uh, the different books about the creation of the central banking system, you should remember that it's one system. One system. And the, the one to do with, uh, remember, there was a guy who, who died, Eustace Mullins. He did write the first book that I know of about, apart from outside of Mandel House and so on, that boasted about helping draft up the Federal Reserve Plan and so on. But Eustace Mullins did write a book on the creation of the U.S. Federal Reserve and how the, the guys met, these bankers met, private bankers, in, on an island just off, off the east coast of the U.S. called Jekyll Island. And they had a big, massive mansion there. It was a kind of holiday playground area for the incredibly wealthy. And they, they, they basically finalized their plans to set up the Federal Reserve System. And they had become the banker to the world. It is also another guy who took over two years later and used, uh, I think, Mullen stuff, and added to it uh, to show you how it really operated as a banker to the world and give, giving out these loans, but using special drawing rights. Canada has them too, by the way, because when Canada crashed in 2008 with all the, the, the shenanigans of the banking systems, all lending to each other and flipping mortgages and so on, uh, they, they were, we were given, it was in the papers at the time, and I did the talks at the time on uh, radio, where they, they gave Canada the rights to, to special drawing rights, they called them SDRs, from the Federal Reserve of the U.S. On condition, what they give you, on condition uh, that the, the governing group in that country of Canada and every other country put us down, the taxpayers down, as, as basically the ones who will definitely pay off this borrowed money. That's, what, that's how you get your special drawing rights. But generally, the loans for the, the countries across the world, the big loans they give to countries to, where there's nothing but tyrants, who are always funding money outside their countries, and they always talk about it and do nothing about it. It's not meant to be done about it. The world is under control. And these gangsters do what they're told by the World Bank and IMF. And in a world where, as the, the bankers who set up, and actually wrote about it in their own books. They, they, some of them put up books out afterwards. Awfully interesting to read. They said that the whole idea was that they could take over the financial system and make money more elastic. That was the term for it. It's strange, though, that if you owe money to them, it never shrinks, eh? Like an elastic would. No, it's always expanded, isn't it? But anyway, that's what power is. Power always has a happy, smiling face, and they're here to help you. And when you look at the United Nations, for instance... Uh, which is a massive socialist system, and the World Bank and all the central banking systems that also go under this term socialism. Nothing like the people at the bottom believe. It's a completely different socialism, folks. Socialism is a cover. Like every political system is a cover for a very powerful group, because most of them are all the same, actually. (laughs) The same group, that is. But remember, too, what Carl Quigley said in his book, and he was a member of the organization, Council of Foreign Relations and Royal Institute for International Affairs. And he said that he belonged to it and, and he had no aversion to his goals. 
And he said that too, that there, there is and has existed this particular group for over 60 years, I think he said, and that was the 1960s, running basically the Western world then, <laughs> and definitely America and Britain. And he said that uh, every leader of, the, of every party since then had always been a member of it, regardless of what they pretended they were as a party. And he said we're often mistaken for communists because our goals are very similar. Well, see, this is the real system of the multi-billionaires club, basically. Some are trillionaires who run the world and basically own it. And they use this technique of a form of socialism to get the public on their side. And it also ensures massive debt in a system where they run the money, they own the money, they decide who gets loans, who doesn't, and who goes bankrupt and who doesn't. And uh, it's their kingdom. This is a, this financial system is their kingdom. And with it too, with the loans, as I say, comes all the stipulations of what leaders of these other nations and small nations must accept and what, what policies they must push through, social policies, and even all, right down to even all kinds of gender issues, for instance. Hillary Clinton was doing that a few years ago to countries in Africa. Well, you can't get this loan unless you blah, blah, blah. Even though under all their lies, because they're always lying, of course, the United Nations, that they'd accept everybody and all kinds of governments and so on. But they don't. They're ruthless. Once they have enough power, they take over everything and they're ruthless. But money is the power. And money is basically a fiction, isn't it? If it's elastic and is backed by nothing, what a magic act it is, isn't it? What a magic act that is. Really think about it. A whole planet where there's no... Remember, that's why, they, that's why they, they had to kill Gaddafi, too. They hated Gaddafi. He had the one place in, in Africa, basically, in North Africa, that was doing incredibly well in a system that was more socialist, according to what the people thought of as socialism, as opposed to what the big boys who own the big system of socialism. He, he had real... So, he, everybody in that country was guaranteed a home, guaranteed by the state. Any youngster had free education right through university and board paid for, everything paid for, great health care. And when folk got married, they were guaranteed uh, homes, all paid for by the state. And Gaddafi had been, his, his last big uh, mistake in his sentence was, it wasn't a mistake, it was a decent thing to do, well, it was to basically back everything. He had it all back, his whole system of money backed by gold. He wasn't borrowing from banks, world banks and so on. They couldn't allow that to go on, you see. He wanted to, to bring out an African form of currency for the whole of Africa based on gold. Well, there's no way they're going to have that, is there? And you know what happened there, don't you? We're dealing with powers that have been at this for an awful long time, centuries, centuries. And look how long it's taken them, right through the 20th century into the 21st century, to get to this stage right now, just in that time alone. And they're utterly ruthless, utterly ruthless. When they can't get what they want, they will get it one way or another. And we supply the manpower. Because all young guys are, are immature. All young guys are, have got the tribal fighting thing and they all want to fight as a group, you see. 
as, as a little clan or a, so they give them uniforms and and you go off and you fight and you're whoever you're told to fight and you don't feel bad about it because you feel you because the guys above you you're doing the right thing boys and you know it's for your country and all that so they always tell you the same rubbish isn't it they do the most simple propaganda, I remember reading that the different techniques they used in the military, from the military sources, saying it had to be very simple for them, keep it very simple. Because if you give an, a, a detailed reason for the war, you might start picking holes in it, but keep it simple. So you've got lots of questions, but you get no answers. That's how it's done. And it isn't until after these wars are over, uh, as I say, it comes out like Tony Blair and so on. Again, a great socialist, but by the guys who backed him, put him in power. Which, of course, most of the public don't even know about <laughs> who they were. And, uh, but, but yeah, they, they put him in and, and it was admitted that he had meetings with the oil companies of Europe and Britain. And uh, they divvied up the oil fields across Iraq all the way to, to Libya in a long in advance before they even started the invasions. That's how it works. And these, these were no surprises, these particular invasions and so on, because we follow a very old plan, and you'll find people publishing from authoritative sources uh, the details of what they wanted for the future, going way back into the past, long before the war started. So you're living through a script. And the, the, when a script is put out, you also get the propagandists that come out immediately, uh, just like they do at the United Nations and, and the World Bank, and they always show you these wonderful, smiling, healthy people in little places in Africa. These are all massive pub- publicity things. And they, get, they give them the clothing and just for the photo ops and scrub them up and so on to make them look happy and healthy and so on, to do with some kind of loan or other. But the money is never going to get to those people. It's not intended that it does. Money is used for control. Control. And all you have to do is have the, the people in the, the, the running those countries and, and the government bought off to get control and to implement the policies for this, this strange system called socialism. That's all you have to do. So I'm, I'm, I've got off tangent here, of course, because sometimes you, you have to let your, your mind wander a bit because there's much more to all this system than meets the eye. It really is. And I've often thought about the people who get involved in these mass movements. And, and like at the top, at the top of them. And you definitely get cabals of different peoples. And you can trace them and who they are and all the rest of it. And often you'll find, I think, I think this is part of the problem. Often you'll find people who've lost all form, all form of faith in, in anything outside of the humanities, as they call it, and science. That takes over. They look for, for intellect, man's intellect, to create solutions and to create the, the reasons for things being the way they are. And I think that's part of the problem, because if you want to go along the scientific process that Marxism grabbed a hold of too, and all the other isms grab a hold of, you'll find that it always fails and, and you have horrible disasters. Horrible disasters. Because the one thing they can't take into account because they want to see us all as numbers and units and little beings with little drives, like sexual drives and, and mating drives and things like that. This is how they classify us, you see. 
they, they actually strip you of any kind of sacredness of humanity. Really, that's what they do. And I think that's why it makes it much easier for them to kill us in different ways, through deliberate poisoning or sterilizations of all kinds, and or even giving you polio vaccines that had the simian 40 viruses and none that causes cancer, things like that. It's all admitted to. It's no conspiracy theory. And of course, it happens to fall in line with the agenda. Oh, people, people becoming more sterile, blah, 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 you know. That's accidental. I mean, it wasn't planned that way, even though we, we kind of like it, you know. It will always go that way. It's horrific. It is horrific. And they want to put brain chips in you and train you like, like cyborgs, basically. Little chips. Part human and part this and part that. But anything they give you into your human part is simply for total control. And if you lose... The reality, there is such a thing of tangible evil in the world. And I really, I, it's my, it's not a belief, I've experienced it. When you experience something, you don't need a belief. You know it. That's the difference. It's kind of like if you, if you were, you've watched any debates between people, scientists, say, and anybody who really, really believes in religion. Most folk really don't. They claim that they, it's more like a formality with them for a social club or belonging or whatever a remnant of how he used to be, as opposed to really truly believing. There are some, of course, but I think they're dwindling. But if you ever look at those old debates that they keep putting on there, they're really designed to make you lose any faith at all. Then you have to realize that it's a pointless argument. It's pointless. Because belief is different from knowing. And no matter how much you argue with someone, because they maybe they'll claim that they've seen a ghost, for instance. You can argue till the cows come home. The fact is that person knows they've seen a ghost, as far as they're concerned. It's no matter of believing it. But when I look at the mass slaughters that's been done by governmental forces across the planet for such a long, long period of time, and it's still going on, you have to, I have to accept the fact that there's incredible... Evil, and that's the only word for it, evil at work. The humanists will say, well, no, it's just man's nature, blah, 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 blah. Well, if it's man's nature, we better all just give up then, isn't it? Isn't that the way it would have to be? This is horrific. The plans are, (laughs) the mass abortions, I say, and and a deliberate plan to destroy the family through socialism and all the rest. They're quite blatant in all their books for the last hundred years about it. And then they claim there's not enough of you. Total war has been waged upon the public and they're completely unaware of it because it's always heavily disguised by professional motor mouths. Are you going to believe your lying eyes? Are you going to believe your lying thoughts for yourself? Or listen to the professionals. This is why this happened, this is why that happened, and blah, blah, blah. But I always think of when... Basically, the genocide was happening in Rwanda, for instance. And there were clips coming out of there. With this, it was like an army, an army. Have you ever seen the old movies, uh, that had horror movies of, of ants going along the, the roads in, in, say, Latin America, different parts, uh, uh, down in heavy, heavy jungle areas? When they used to go on rampages, eat everything in their path. That's what it was like. You would hear them eating... At least, but in Rwanda, 
All you heard was the, the, the swishing of machetes as they slaughtered folk for days and days. What overtook the perpetrators? What was in these people at the time? Think about it. We better study that. We better think about it. And don't leave it to the professionals because we've been told what's in them when that happens. And yeah, evil, evil definitely works. Definitely works. Absolutely. And we haven't evolved into some new kind of better creature because we have cell phones and laptops, etc. We don't. It's not, it's not true at all. If anything, the techniques have been developed by using all these devices to keep you completely distracted while any slaughtering, true slaughtering, is going on. And the techniques are so perfected today, you won't even recognize it's actually happening. You're easier fooled. Well, I suppose I better try to get some of these articles in. And one of them's to do with technology, and it's to do with, it says, as much as adults are now constantly inundated with technology, these constant Facebook notifications and that next episode on Netflix already queued up, children today are even more primed to become hooked on their devices. The children today have ten times the amount of screen time that they did in 2011, ten times more, and spent an average of six hours and 40 minutes, I guess that's per day, using technology, according to Common Sense Media, it says here. But they go into how psychologists are employed to, to work with the, the different owners of these systems and manufacturers of programs to manipulate the behavior of the children and make them addicted to, and to make them to, to change their behavior. Behavioral science experts, they call it. That's what it's all about, folks. There's nothing out there that's not weaponized. There's nothing out there that's there just for your benefit. Honestly, there's not. News is all weaponized with spins to everything by powerful forces. Anyway, it says experts who are hired to create products that we want to use more and more. Big tech now employs mental health experts to use persuasive technology. A new field of research that looks at how computers can change the way humans think and act. This technique, also known as persuasive design, is built into thousands of games and apps and companies like Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft rely on it to encourage specific human behavior starting from a very young age. Now that was planned before they even gave you the computer folks that mass meetings every year for years and years before you even heard of a laptop. And then they give you the, all we get is, is the PR stuff. And governments get, oh, it's wonderful how we can, we can have positive effects this persuasive technology, you see? They always give you some reason, but they're liars. They're utter li- There's nothing out there to help you lose weight. That's not why they, they, they'd have these, these hidden persuasive uh, techniques hitting you. It's nothing to do with that. Or it's to help children's behaviors and professionals believe it'll help them, blah, 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 blah. No, folks. They always give you an excuse. Years ago, I remember DARPA putting out articles. They're always putting articles out saying that they actually chipped a paraplegic to try and make him move certain things on a computer, you know, because he couldn't move his arms and so on. But they could, they could move a little pointer on a computer by thought. So, so DARPA, this defense program, guys basically for DARPA, the members of DARPA gave you the internet, again, defense ministry and so on. They're really trying to help paraplegics, eh? That, that's really what it's all for. No, it's not. 
Anyway, I'll put up some articles. You read them for yourself. They're quite good articles, some of these other ones. And they go into the different things that they're trying. They say the founding father of this particular research is B.J. Fogg, a behavioral scientist at Stanford University, where there's a lab dedicated to this field. And he's been called the millionaire maker, developed an entire field of study based on research that proved, I guess it's, I don't know if it's from a different language, this article or not, but it's got some spell mistakes and stuff. Anyway, it says, that proved that with some simple techniques, uh, tech can manipulate human behavior. Of course it can. Well, it's, there's nothing new in that. Even the old stuff was like the Hidden, Hidden Persuaders, the old book on it was awfully good to read. And that was from the 1950s and 60s. And the one, too, is about people who are closest to a thing are often the most aware of it. It says, technologists know how phones really work, and many have decided they don't want their own children anywhere near them. These are people working in the field in Silicon Valley. And this article goes on to say that Awareness that has been slowly brewing is turning into a region-wide consensus. The benefits of screens as a learning tool are overblown, and the risk for addiction and stunting development seem high. The debate in Silicon Valley now is about how much exposure to phones is okay. Doing no screen time is almost easier than doing a little, said Kristen Stetcher, former social computing researcher married to a Facebook engineer. If my children do get it, they just want it more. In other words, it's addictive. Ms. Stetcher, 37, her husband, Rushab Doshi, researched screen time and came to a small conclusion that they wanted almost none of it in their house. Their daughters, age five and three, have no screen time budget and no regular hours they're allowed to be on screens. The only time a screen can be used is during travel, a portion of a long car ride or during a plane trip. And it goes on and on. It's quite a long article. There's different links in it, too, awfully good, such as Silicon Valley nannies are phone police for the children, and the digital gap between rich and poor children is not what we expected. Of course it is. They know darn well what they're doing at the top. But it says here there's a looming issue Ms. Stetcher sees in the future her husband, who's 39, loves video games and thinks they can be educational entertaining. She does not. We'll cross that when we come to it, she said. And she's due, I guess, to have another a little boy soon, another child, I guess. Some of the people who built video programs are now horrified by how many places a child can now watch a video. Or I guess there's different places. They can go into cafes, restaurants, and so on. But it, it gives you a, a lot of what really happens, you know, uh, and, and how everything is just weaponized, basically, as I say. And it says... Uh, uh, Athena Shavaria, who worked as an executive assistant at Facebook and is now at Mark Zuckerberg's philanthropic arm, <laughs> their own philanthropist to manage society, I eh? uh, tell you, weaponized philanthropy. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative said, I'm convinced the devil lives in our phones and is wreaking havoc on our children. I think more so than she even knows herself. And uh, this, this article goes on and on and on. It's quite good and it's long. You, you can read about it and and see what you think yourselves. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who've, who've watched the children alter the, their behavior and so on uh, through using the computer. Another one, too, as parents in Overland Park were fed up, they wanted their children off screens and they needed strength in numbers first because no one wants their children to be the lone weird one without a phone. See, they use peer pressure, you see. And second, because taking the phone away from a middle schooler is actually very, very tough. I bet it is. So they tell you about uh, the different programs that they've been using themselves. The start is called Stand Together and Rethink Technology. Uh, and it's, it's, it's responsible adults taking 
charge. It's about time somebody took charge of part of government, their systems, their professionals, and tried to take some power back from the authorities. Because, as I say, authorities always lead you into horror, folks. They do. You're just a little prose. That's what you are. You're the prose or the subjects or the citizens. Call it what you want to call it. It's all the same, and that's how they see you. Back to do with the chips. I remember talking about the chips quite a few years back, and they tried uh, in discos to implant them in Spain in different places where you could swipe your arm across the, the little computer thing or whatever, the reader, and it would deduct your, your drinks off of your account, etc., etc. But here's one to do with... It's interesting about the socialistic Sweden. that's finished, actually. They don't know it yet, but they are. And they were always ahead of so many countries in real advanced socialism. It was, a, it was basically used by the big philanthropists, put it that way, and the people who are pushing it all today. There's a test bed for years, for as long as I've been alive. Thousands of Swedes are now getting microchips inserted into their hands to swipe into homes, their own homes, I guess, offices, concerts, and even to access social media. And it's got your IDs in it as well. So it says more than 4,000 Swedish people have a tiny microchip embedded in their hand. An implant lets them enter the buildings and access concerts, etc. And the procedure costs about $180. And uh, it says, and the chip is the size of a grain of rice. Several companies in Sweden offer the service to their employees for free. And you'll you'll always get uh, an avant-garde bunch of airheads that will go for that first. You always get a certain portion that do. Hmm? I remember doing that articles years ago and the the, the fact they were removing them from their pets years ago because they were causing cancer. But now the humans can get on me. Oh, well. Another one, two thousands are volunteering to be microchipped in Sweden. Can the rest of the world be far behind? This is big PR stuff, you see, to make folk, well, I think I might do that. Thousands are trying it. And that's where they put out these articles most of the time. It's coming, of course, but uh, it's quite interesting to see. They actually call it technological fascism. And technology certainly is going that way. This is published in the Daily Mail, an article published. They, 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 they were, they're lacking shocker warnings of growing technological fascism. This called totalitarianism. Don't get confused by the terms they give you, because you wouldn't recognize fascism uh, even when the boot's standing on your face. I'm not kidding you. Not with the behaviorists that are managing your brains. But anyway, it says the microchip bypasses the need for cash tickets and so on. And uh, and you always had the professional people pushing it. It'll be on television, I'm sure, by pros and, and good speakers. No, it's, you know, we're avant-garde. It's the thing of the future, yada, yada, yada. Hmm. I also put up the articles from years ago that I was in. I put some of them up. Revolution, flash mobs and brain chips, a grim vision of the future. And that was back in 2007. And I put up stuff from the from the, 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 the military-industrial complex, think tanks, basically, from, for the Ministry of Defence's teams. And they do future strategic contexts, like to face Britain's armed forces and so on. It was all in it then, of course, as they push for all these things. Nothing suddenly comes out by itself, folks. Even when, when you'll forget it all and it'll be promoted as though it's suddenly coming out from some company or corporation, just spontaneously. No, no, no. Don't forget the old articles from years ago where they're working across the whole planet to do with chipping the whole of our citizenry across, across the great void. <laughs> and also, too, 
uh, work in progress for, for two years. The final text agreed to the past July moves forward to formal adoption by United Nations member states, save for the United States, Australia and Hungary this December in Morocco. It's noteworthy that the US and Australia see the compact. It's called the compact, the global compact on migration. Interesting compact indeed, because now the whole point of it is, is through their agreed law and a liberal system under the United Nations that the UN will be in charge of, of telling what countries how much, much migration and immigration you must accept. That's the whole point of it, folks. A new system that you don't get to vote for. Not that voting does you any good anyway, because your politicians always say, well, they're supposed to represent your area, your region, or your state, or whatever it happens to be, or your town even. And they say they can't because they've got to vote with the party. What's the point in having See, there's no democracy at all. But anyway, they're now merging into this global thing, and you don't get to vote on that either, because the United Nations is not a democratic institution either, you see. They use the term democratic because they push it on everybody else, but they don't believe in it themselves. You don't get to vote for them. You have no votes at all to do with them, but they're telling you what to do. You maybe should ask your politicians, who do they serve? That'd be an awfully, that'd be a really good thing to, if you'd ever get an honest answer, but politicians are famous for giving you Distorted answers. That's what they do. Anyway, I'll put this one up too. And the United Nations Parliamentary Assembly, I'll put that one up as well. It's basically a proposed addition to the United Nations system that would allow for greater participation and voice for members of Parliament. So there you go. I remember reading that years ago too. They're still on the go, of course, and pushing for their, their global system. And again, you don't get a vote for them, eh? Isn't it wonderful to live in such a, a mysterious system? Another article is, I'll put up two, Our minds have been hijacked by our phones, and Tristan Harris wants to rescue them, about smartphones and what is done and so on. And uh, it's, again, it's a little, I call them bubblegum articles in a sense, because nothing will come of them. It does mention the fact that your mind, it's not just your phones, it's everything. And believe me, this field, this field of Wi-Fi and the 5G is, isn't just for communication, like better communication. It's going to have its effect in a, a technotronic sense on your minds, all right. It's designed to be so. Another one, too, it says 3,000 Norwegians convert to Islam. That's a talk in itself because Norway has always been a, a real testbed for the cutting edge an experimentation of secular humanism and socialism, scientific socialism, for as long as I can remember, actually. They went all the way with feminism to the top, and marriage pretty well fell apart. It's our decline, of course. And here's the key, too, which all the scientists are well aware of. As they do all of this, they understand, too, that you can't just drive out the instinct to have children. And a lot of women, even the women who deny they want children, there's always an instinct. You can't deny how we're made. It can't be done. And all the instincts that come with it. And so that really they're attracted to people coming in from other cultures that haven't had the indoctrination of that the man be not the problem of all the world's ills, and they see that as strength. And they don't want to compete in a workplace alongside men. But that's happening across the world too. It's bad enough for anybody to try to get a job these days and hold on to it and make any kind of living at all. People are fed up competing. 
and women especially, because it's not fun. Forget all the glamour magazines they dish out to them with different protégés have been trained from birth. They don't realise that, that you don't just walk up into top positions of power. You're groomed from childhood for them and trained for them too. So you can't walk into that. You can't just walk in to be an actress either. You've got to go through the everyday slogging of work that the guys do. So women are going towards guys that are strong, who have a mind of their own, who can make decisions and are allowed to make decisions and come from cultures where they're allowed to make decisions, and they find that attractive, and that's part of what's happening. And the authorities, at the very top, the scientific authorities, are well aware of this too. I keep telling people there's a constant war going on, a very old war, a planned war. It's not happenstance, and the targets are well-defined, and the outcome has been well-explained by those who lead it all. There's nothing to guess at here. It's no surprise that the Norwegian women are, are, are feeling safe with what they see as a winning, the winning team, basically. You would see the same thing with occupying armies in World War II in different countries. The same kind of thing happened. You had it in Ireland uh, where women were tarred and feathered, literally in the streets, because they'd, they'd gone out with British soldiers and so on. You'll find this, that there's an attraction to what the women see. A lot of women see as the, the dominant winners in society. It could be instinctive, for, for all we know. I'm sure it's well understood. Actually, it is well understood at higher levels of intense study in academia, the kind that they don't give out to the general population because they don't want you to know that you're being guided every step of the way, even through all the chaos. So life will go on. It will change, certainly, but it's meant to change. That's how it's planned that way. And this article is about that, too number of converted Muslims in Norway increased to at least 3,000 in the recent years, and there's more and more all the time. Another one, too, is from a while back, too, was that uh, I think it was 1,500 were deported from Norway at one point for, for committing crimes in Norway, but they were mainly from, I don't know if it was Somalia. It was some part, I think it was maybe Somalians that were involved in crime. Anyway, we also have, can we predict when and where a crime will take place because they're using technology to do pre-crime like Minority Report, the movie. That'll never stop until it's implemented everywhere. And you're, you're all being observed 24 hours a day now, by the way. It's here, all right. It is here. And also, the burglars are at your door in modern society. It's no accident that mayhem is being pushed across the media, across Europe and in Britain, and being allowed, to, apparently allowed to happen, by the way. And even the gangsters know it. Um, some of the gangs that come into Britain have their websites where they boast about what, what they've done and what they're going to do because they, they say that they're fearless, nothing's going to happen to them. And it's all done because it's being promoted to happen. And it says the burglars are at your door and where's the police? They're hiding in the office. How the balance of fear is shifting in Britain as criminals who are no longer afraid of the law. That's all part of the strategy, folks. And that's by Peter Hitchens. It's a good article, of course, it's true. Anybody who lives there knows it is completely true. You just read the mail every day, the Daily Mail and different papers, and you'll, you'll see that for yourself. And also, just to finish off, the International Union of Socialist Youth, international organization founded in 1907, whose activities include publication support of member organizations and the organization of meetings, formed as a youth wing of the Second International, the Communist one, under the name Socialist Youth International. And, uh, and there was 145 uh, member organizations. 
including 122 full members and 23 observer members from 106 countries. So they always train them, you see, the future leaders to dominate you. And a lot of these um, socialist uh, people too, when they grow up to be people, or to be people, to be to be adults, are completely trained. I might talk about that next week with some of them who've been groomed from childhood for their positions as prime ministers, etc., across the planet. For those who think they just spontaneously appear, and the big organisations which groom them and fund them, and run your money system and run the world, because that's how it really is, folks. That's how it really is. And meanwhile, you're told to play. There's more entertainment now than ever before. But just play and don't think and allow others to do your thinking for you and just be downloaded with their opinions because you're, then you're a good citizen. And you all want to be good, don't you? Remember, too, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Take a note of the websites I have in case any of them go down. And you can also donate you can find out how to do it at CurryingTreeMeries.com and help me tick along because things are awfully slack at the moment. For myself, Alan Watt from Interior Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.